Hey everyone, welcome to the Love and Truth Church Savannah podcast. We are so glad you joined us. Our hope is for these teachings to be encouraging and uplifting and that they would help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, let's get ready to receive a powerful message from Pastor A.J. Fowler. phrase that the Lord spoke to me back in 2017 that began to encourage me uh, whenever all kinds of voices were in a place of encouraging me but um, when God speaks to you it's great you get words of affirmation from people around you but whenever God begins to speak and he begins to encourage you it's different right you, you get that word and it just kind of settles into your spirit and regardless of what comes you're good but I want to preach to you tonight for just a little bit out of the phrase uh, of a word that it was a very direct word from the Lord but at the same time it steered our lives starting into 2017 and it was a phrase the Lord spoke to me and he said stay the course stay the course stay the course so that's what I want to talk to you about tonight there's not going to be anything on side screens um, if you have your Bibles you can you can turn to Psalm 37. I'm going to read some verses there. Psalms 37, uh, and then I'll and then I'll jump in and and kind of try to talk through this of what I felt like God had directed on my heart to speak to you all tonight. Uh, th- uh, Psalms 37 is one of my favorite chapters in Psalm. And by the way, if you want to become one that that praises through any season of your life. You need to read Psalm. I was talking with Pastor Tony when he came and preached that night. We were back in my office and after the service, and he was just, because he had just been everywhere that weekend, and he was hanging out. We were hanging out in my office, and uh, he told me, he said, he said, Pastor AJ, he said, I'll never understand, and I literally just started this probably back around last August, probably about a year. I've been doing it about a year where I just read and reread the psalm. I never stop because that's, it's, it's songs that are written in every season of the psalmist's life from David to Asaph and all of those different writers that are there. Even Moses has one that's in here, a song that Moses sung. And it's just, it, they're written for every season of people's lives. And so I just begin to read it. But Pastor Tony said, I'll never understand that when people hit rough times, he said, why is it that they're not pulling from, uh, like, not just reading scripture, but pulling life from certain books of the Bible? And he talked about Psalms. He said, if you want to understand praise, you've got to read praise, and you read Psalm. You know, if you want to understand revival, you read Acts, but you read it from, another, from a perspective of, like, that's Psalm is praise. And so you can learn how to praise through any season of your life. And so I've really been doing that. That's I read it and reread it and reread it. It's part of my, my daily reading and, and the process, one to two, whatever chapters that I read in a day. But Psalms 37 is one that I love so much. And I, I, I tried to pick and choose verses that would help really bring my point across tonight. Thanks, Patrick, so much. Um, but I, I want to start in verse 1. And then I'll just, I'll I'll move from here. So I'll kind of direct you. So verse one, and then I'll go to verse seven and eight after this. It says, do not get upset because of evildoers. 
Do not be envious of wrongdoers. How many of us have ever seen that before? You see somebody that's succeeding when you're doing everything right, but you're getting setbacks and they're getting breakthroughs. It's like, I don't understand that, right? So verse, verse 7 says, rest in the Lord and wait. Wait patiently for him. I don't like to wait. I don't like to be patient. Don't, do not get upset because of the one who is successful in his way, because of the person who carries out wicked schemes And verse 8 says, cease from anger and abandon wrath. Do not get upset. It only leads to evil doing. Now drop down to verse 23. And this is where, there's so, I could pick all, I could just read the whole chapter, but I'm not. Verse 23, and this is where I'm getting the phrase of stay the course. Because this was the connecting verse that God laid on my heart. Verse 23 says, the steps of a man, some translations say of a good man or a woman, are ordered or established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. The steps, somebody say steps. Steps, the steps of a righteous person, a good man, a good woman, are ordered and they're established by the Lord. And what I've understood, and this whole focus of stay the course, especially in the the Christian journey, is that it's hard to go through this journey without being offended or without being discouraged. Those are two, I believe, two weapons that the enemy uses. I believe an offense deals with an attitude of your heart. There's so many people that wear their feelings on a shoulder and whenever something comes up and they're having to be corrected or, or, or like, hey, let's just kind of help you. They don't like, don't put your hands on me. No, 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 I'm good. I don't need to submit myself to nobody, right? And so God's saying, look, if you're gonna walk this thing, your steps are gonna be ordered, that doesn't mean that just, oh, I'm blessed. And when I take us, oh, I just, must, I'm just graciously walking through this thing. No, sometimes God takes your foot and says, I want it here. And we can kick against it and rebel against it. And we find ourselves in a bad spot. So it's times, and even as some of the scripture that I read, it was talking about um, that you're looking at someone that is succeeding, that is doing evil whenever you've done everything right, and it's easy to make you step into a place of offense, or it may make you slide into a place of the second, I believe, one of the most uh, effective, efficient weapons that the enemy uses in the body of Christ is discouragement. The devil will use discouragement. It'll come in so many different forms. There are moments in the believer's life that try the human soul. And if you don't understand, you read through Psalm, you'll find where it says that you have tested me. You have tested me. God tests us to refine us. And it has to be done. It's not just sunshine and smiles all days of our life, right? And so discouragement has a tendency to creep in secretly and hide behind clothes, behind makeup, Behind a good, solid-looking suit, it has a tendency to, to hide itself behind a smile. That It boldly flaunts itself behind a smile. And discouragement is, a, is something that in our lives, if we allow it to take root, that it can deter you, derail you, distract you, take you off the course that God's got you. Because God is trying to order your steps, but human emotion can distract and mislead, especially if we pay attention to offense. Offense is something that Jesus said that's coming. I don't have time to go into that vein. I would love to take some time and go into it because there's so many people, believers, he's talking to believers that are already offended in Matthew 25. I'm going to be pastoral tonight, so just get ready. I'm going to step on somebody's toe and probably all of our toes at some point, but I I, got to get it off my chest. I got to talk to you about it. It's It's not a problem I've got. It's just a message I've got to release to the body. And so discouragement, as I said, is, is so bold that it will hide itself behind a smile and, and, and behind a mask. 
And it always seems that it'll ride to work with you. And if it doesn't hitch a ride to work with you, it'll ride back home from work with you. But it somehow finds its way discouragement to latch on. And, and don't think that it will stop there. Discouragement in the believer's life. I'm going to take a moment and, and hang on this because I really feel there's some of us in the room tonight that are very discouraged. And hopefully by the end, you'll be encouraged. But it doesn't stop there. It longs to con- consume thoughts and, and every aspect of our life, it will sit down and have a cup of coffee with you to keep your attention as long as you're willing to compromise and have a conversation with it. If you listen to discouragement, it will cause you to make bad decisions and tell you that life is not worth living. It'll tell you. It'll, it'll get you to, to, to come away and, and, and have a moment. And all it needs is a moment where the enemy can begin to plant the seed and all, and all he has to do is plant the seed because discouraged people and offended people always water the seeds of whatever's been planted. They're the ones, well, the devil made me know. The devil didn't do nothing. He planted the seed, but you did the watering because we can choose to stay offended. You may not have a, a, a choice to, to be offended the first time, but you can make a choice to stay in offense or you can make a choice to stay in discouragement or to make a choice to stay in a state of where you feel defeated and depressed and there's no hope and there's no way out. You make the decision to stay where you are. As Pastor Eddie said, some really wise theology, you are where you are because of the choices you've made. You made those decisions to be where you, well, Pastor, but this happened, this happened. Yeah, but I can shift this thing. I can change tomorrow by what I do today, right? That's, that's, that's important to know. In particular, discouragement in the life of the believer is very painful, Because as we move from season to season in the struggle and a lot of the perils that we face as believers and as sons and daughters, it's the wicked that we see start moving forward while the righteous are held back and we don't find the promotion that they find in an instant, right? Seen that? And I believe that God watches to see how we respond to those that are our other fellow brothers and sisters, not the wicked, to see how we respond to promotion in their life. Do we praise with them or do we get offended and say, well, what did they do to get what they got? I think God's watching us and that's all part of the course and part of the journey that we're on that helps us to walk in humility before the Lord. Sometimes I see people succeeding who didn't pray nearly as hard, didn't work nearly as long, have not been faithful at all, and it seems like they have moments of victory that, are, that they have those that are placed in close proximity so I can see it. So it's just like it's being flaunted. The enemy loves to flaunt that. I'm not talking about fellow believers. I'm talking about the wicked that are succeeding and they haven't done anything. They haven't sown the time. They haven't been faithful. They haven't been generous. They haven't been loving and caring. They haven't manifested the fruit of the spirit that God so uh, eagerly wants us to establish in our life. But yet they're still prospering and finding a way to break through. Their victories are flaunted in my face while all hell begins to break loose in my life when the children are sick and there's bills coming in, medical bills, and certain things are coming due soon and fast and it seems like that most of the people would would rather take a knife and stab it into your back and say this and say that, but present a smile before your face. So how do you manage that? Welcome to ministry. No, I'm just kidding. But how do you manage that? How do you manage to keep a heart of humility and a love? And when you, when you watch this take place, if you're not careful, the very side of their prosperity, the wicked, 
becomes your agony and seeing them go forward will be the source of continued frustration and discouragement that's not your test that baffles you but seeing them succeed is the test and the struggle that you embrace instead of focusing on God you focus on the breakthrough of the wicked don't let a moment of agony cause you to make a conclusion of life prematurely Because if you keep walking with God, he has a way of making all things work together, right? Come on, does he not? At some point, he has a way to making this thing work out, but it didn't come when I thought it was. No, if you haven't read the story of Lazarus, he has his own time clock, by the way. The steps of a good man are ordered. Steps, what are we talking about? Steps are... The word steps there is a word that I I get to preach a little bit on tonight because it's one of the things I love to preach on is process. Steps implies a process. It's going to take a while. You can't get to the destination just because you want it. It's interesting because there's times where whenever you start into this journey and God begins to reveal some things to you and it's like you see the end and you, you get excited about what you begin to see but all of a sudden you don't understand that he's put you in process. So there's some things that's got to be solidified. The foundation's got to be laid. There's some things that have to be set up because he can't give you what you, you he can't give you the end result because you're not ready for, for the weightiness of what that could bring. Do you understand that blessing is weighty? You understand that? I'll prove it to you in just a moment. Blessing is weighty. So many people say, well, God, you showed me this, but I haven't seen it yet. And, and, and the reason why is because God is a good father. I'm getting ahead of myself. Here's the thing. I am becoming more and more of a visionary. And I'm not talking about this leadership stuff that's floating around the nation where you pay $29.99 a month and you get this talk and that talk and they're good talks. And, but it's just it's like this whole leadership, uh, this whole leadership swirl has become a, a thing where that you don't have to have an ounce of God in it. You just got to be able to get an MBA and whatever and get up and you can speak and lead something. No, I believe God's looking in this time and this day and this age. He's looking for leaders full of the Holy Ghost and power. He's looking for men and women that will stand. They know how to pray. They know how to lead. They can make hard decisions. Even though it's like it goes back to Psalm 15, they swear to their own hurt and they don't change. They're they're men and women of of integrity. Do you understand that people, you can look up and see somebody that functions and operates in giftings and maybe their gifting is they're good with finances and they're a CEO of a company or or something to that effect and they're gifted in that. It's like, man, look what God did in their life. And, or maybe it's a minister or something like that. You look as, man, look at that gift, but there's absolutely no fruit to bear. All you have to do is give it time and watch people and you'll see their fruit manifesting because what God does is he commits himself. He'll show you the end. All right. Think about it for a moment. The vision. Without the vision, the people perish. And that's the thing about being a visionary. If you're a visionary sitting in the room tonight, and I believe that God's called us all to be visionaries of some sort, a visionary for your family, a visionary for your job, uh, that, that he, because it's without a vision, the people begin to perish. You don't have a vision for your family, your family's gonna perish. What is, your, what is your vision for your marriage? What is your vision for your job? So he's called us to be men and women of vision. And as Bishop T.F. Tinney said, and I love it so much, I'm called to lead from vision vision, not from memory. God, teach me to lead from vision. And I want to lead from what yesterday looked like. I want to lead from what you're saying that it, this needs to look like. And so vi- being a visionary can hurt because here's the problem. In a vision, 
You see what shall be, but then you have to wake up to deal with what is. That's the problem with a vision and a visionary. A visionary wakes up, and that's, that, that's been a thing with me, and I'm, my wife gets so frustrated. But yeah, but I know that the Lord has called, but when do you think it's going to happen? And she's like, what do you think I am? You know, I mean, it's like, it, it, but you just learn over time, you learn to pro- keep it God, and you don't want to rush it because God's working. And there's a book that I read some time ago, again, by Bishop T.F. Tenney, Water from an Old Well, and he said in his book, he said that God works in three areas in a man and a woman's life that desires to be greatly used by God. Monotony, he, he desires to work in the mundane, and solitude. Monotony, mundane, and solitude. Can you be faithful in the mundane? Because that's the process. Stay in the course. Can you be faithful? Can you uh, uphold the right character? Can you manifest the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, 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 kindness, oh, oh. kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, self-control, and gentle self-control, self-control when I drive, self-control. Can, I, can God establish that? He didn't say that your gift, I'll increase your gift. He said that he wants you to bear much fruit, not much gift. Psalm, or excuse me, John 15. So he's committed to process. The, the promise is easy. He sees it. He knows it. He knows where he's taking you. But he says the steps of a good person are ordered. They're ordained. They're established by him. But a visionary struggles because... Again, they wake up and they see what is, but they understand, man, I know what's supposed to be. I know what God's leading and taking us into. I can see this. And sometimes a visionary cries out on the inside and said, God, don't even show me what shall be because every time I shout and dance over what you showed me, I go home to a harsh, painful, bleak, dark reality and the fact that I'm torn between what shall be and what, shall, and what's going, what is right now, it torments me. So that is the grace and that is the struggle of a visionary, right? You with me? A blessing, let me, now, let's, let's talk about the blessing. Oh, Lord, bless me, right? Bless me, God, I'm, I'm just blessed. I wanna be blessed. Every one of us do. But do you understand what you're asking for? Let me just give it to you. A blessing given too soon is not a blessing at all. Give, I think about in this regard, my son is about to turn eight, and how many days? He's telling us every day, 11 days. I'm gonna be eight in 11 days. So if I hand him the keys to a brand new truck, if we had a brand new truck, I'd be driving it. But if I handed him the keys to a brand new truck at eight years old, it's a blessing. The truck's ready, the road is ready, but he's not ready, even though he thinks he is because Paul Larry let him ride on the golf cart and drive some behind her back and us not know it. That's what good grandpas are for, right? But the truck given to him right now, this is common sense, we understand it will kill him. There's not a, it might, it will. He will not succeed because he's not ready for that type of blessing. He hasn't grown into that type of blessing. He, his stature, he can't reach the, the pedals. He doesn't comprehend and understand what uh, how, this rule and that rule. And when you get on the road, what's supposed to take place? I don't even think people at our age understand the rules. I want to preach on that. Give me a soapbox. I'll get on it for a minute. So 
A blessing giving too soon is not a blessing at all. Would I be a good father if I gave, if I gave him a good thing too soon? Now, some of you need to hear this because the Lord's fixing to speak to you. Would I be a good father if I gave you a good thing too soon? But God, I'm ready. But God, I'm ready. But God, but God, but God, but God. Are you really ready? Because it's the weightiness of that blessing that it could bring destruction to your life. Sometimes my goodness is proven by my ability to say not yet. I didn't get it. I think you're processing it. So I'm going to wait a second. Sometimes my goodness to my children is in my ability to say not yet. God knows. God understands. Maybe there's some of us in this room right now. You think about it. It's like maybe you're wanting a good husband, but yet you haven't been a good wife. And maybe you haven't been good in certain areas. I know. I don't, I, I, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to know. Maybe you haven't been, but have you been doing what's necessary to lay the groundwork, the infrastructure to support and have a healthy marriage? Vice versa to the husband. You want a good wife, but you haven't been a good husband. So have you been doing what's necessary behind closed doors? Have you been uh, uh, praying? Have you been uh, establishing uh, uh, the infrastructure to withhold the, the weightiness of the blessing? Because what God wants to release to you, he doesn't want to kill you. You know, one of the things I love, a quote that I've heard, and I've, I've, I've lived by this to the best that I possibly can, uh, or, or to, to pray into it, and it's the quote that says, uh, God, don't give me anything that I'm not ready to have yet. I think it was uh, R.T. Kendall's spiritual father, and he talked about this so strategically, and I thought it was amazing how he talked about the worst thing that can happen to a man is for him to succeed before he's ready. The worst thing that can happen to us is for us to step into the full weightiness of blessing, and we're not ready for that to take place in our life. So... Look at it in the life of the prodigal son. Let's take this for just a moment because it's the steps, it's the process that God commits himself to to have you walk in and not skip one to get to where he intends for you to be. You can't skip the steps that God's got for you when he orders your steps. Come on, stay the course. I don't want to be T.D. Jakes right now, but look at somebody and tell them, say, stay the course. Oh, it's weak. Y'all are asleep on this Wednesday night. I get it. Come on now. Look at somebody and say, hey, man, just stay the course. Stay the course. Yeah, say it just like that. Hey, man. Stay the course. The prodigal son proves that to get a good thing too soon can drive us over the edge. He wanted his inheritance early. He receives his inheritance early. And guess what it does? It throws him into the pig pen. It was pleasure in that blessing, but for a season, and then he finds himself starving in a, in, a, in, a, in a nasty state, in a nasty place. But it's, I think God has a way of waking you up in the midst of that. He does. He has a way to wake us up in the midst of a process that we have derailed. We didn't look straight ahead. We got off track some way because we wanted to do it my way. We wanted to take our side or our left or our right. And as we did that, we find ourselves in the pig pen. And then all of a sudden, it's God. And I believe that he kind of just taps you on the shoulder. And he's, oh, man, you come to yourself. What am I doing? Why have I gotten this far off course? And he returns. 
Lord, don't give me more than I can handle. Teach me patience with the process. God has a way to work on me that if I've skipped a step, he'll make me go back and go through it again. He, here's the thing. God's not, it's not like elementary or grade school or whatever. It's like, well, we're just, I'm ready to get this kid out of my class. Come on, teachers. I know where you're at. I'm just lips plus passing. And then, and then you're on to the next one, right? But God doesn't do that. He's very tenderhearted. He's kind. <laughs> and he'll make you say, take the same test over and over and over and over. Because he doesn't want to see you just step, well, maybe he'll just, and wink at it. No, he wants to make sure you get it right. Because here's the problem. When you're, people look at the process and fear the process because they're not doing it with him. You don't do process and, and just walk, I'm, I'm just by myself, I'm just having it. No, 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 no. No, you do it with him. You don't do it apart from him. When you do it apart from him, you're doing it without grace and it's going to be hard. Here's the thing that I've learned. You ask for something so strong, and, it, and it's, you, you just press. I'm not saying that God will give it to you at times. Sometimes he might. I don't know. But he'll say, I'm going to let you have it, but I'm not going to be in it. So sometimes we've gotten things simply because our desire, God, 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 give me. And I believe he just turns us loose from time to time. Now, some of you may have a different theology on that. I just believe he does. Because he's like, hey, you, you, can, you go ahead. Because whatever has to be, whatever has to be done in human strength, you'll have to keep on life support apart from him because he's not going to do it. You do it on your own. And we understand what that means. That's that's taxing on me emotionally, mentally, spiritually, financially, relationally. I don't want to do it apart from him. God, if it's not time, don't give it to me. I want to walk process. I want to stay the course. Some of us right now are in a course, we're in a process that it's not fun. We don't like the direction that seems that our life is going, but at the same time, but God, I'm being faithful. I'm doing everything that I know to do, and God says, just stay the course. I'm telling you, hear the word of the Lord. Stay the course. Don't deviate. It's easy to get derailed right now because you don't like it. It's, it's the unbeliever's life that we can't stand pain and discomfort, but God's not committed to your uh, all-the-time comfort. That's why he sent you Holy Spirit. He's called the, right? Are, is this, are y'all, y'all aren't sleeping on me, are you? Start calling you out like old church. No, I'm kidding. People will take that serious and leave. Hey, if the shoe fits. No, I'm kidding. The blessing of the Lord, let me just tell you something, is already ready. His blessing is already ready. He's not putting it together and making it in heaven. He's not building a mansion in heaven and none of that stuff. It's already established. He's got it. It's done. All God has to do is think it and it's put together. The blessing of whatever the X factor is in your life, God isn't fixing it up right now. The work doesn't have to be applied to where you're going. The work has to be applied to you so that when you get to where you're going, you can handle the weightiness of blessing. He's got to build the infrastructure. Come on, we, when I grew up in Sunday school in Sister Robbie's class, and she started teaching us, he's still working on me, 
to make me what I ought to be. That I know it's a kid's song, but think about he is never going to stop working on me. And I don't want him to stop working on me because the day that he stops means the day is, I think it was Smith Wigglesworth said that the day that I stop believing is the day I start backsliding. I'm not backsliding. I'm not looking to go back. I'm looking to move forward because I want him to work on me. He's got to chisel on me. He's got to refine me with fire and with a tribulation and things that I'm not asking for that, but that's part of the journey. When I said, Jesus, you pretty much signed up for hardship. I'm just going to tell you, not all the time, but you've got to walk through some fiery trials because how else is the faith going to be proven and tested as Romans 5 talks about, right? The steps that you're taking are important. The steps you're having to take are important. Even Jesus had steps. Do you know that? Even Jesus himself had steps. They tried to crown him too soon, and what did he do? He slipped through the crowd. He was an escape artist. He slipped out of the crowd, and he was, he was gone. Because it wasn't his time to be crowned. They were trying to make him skip steps. They tried to crown him before they crossed him. You understand that as a believer, you're charged to take up your cross and carry it on a daily basis, which means to deny yourself. Because the, the flesh in nature is prideful. We were, when we're born, I believe it that we're born with a void. I do. I believe that. I believe that, that actual the, theological idea that when you're born, because you're born into a world of sin, well, I was born into sin, shaping into iniquity, and the, the day that I committed my life to Jesus and welcomed God, I'm, I, I repent and begin to follow after him. That moment when the Spirit of the Lord filled the void in my life, that began to start the journey of, the, of, of my life. And started a process where God began to start ordaining and ordering steps and leading me through a process of becoming, right? You, you, you haven't arrived. None of us in this room have arrived yet. That's what's called sanctification. You're continually, you're being saved and you're saved. And we're becoming more like him on a daily basis. But the problem is a lot of times, a lot of believers, hear what I'm about to tell you. You don't hear anything else. You better get this. A lot of believers set on seats all across America that are 60, 70 years old, 50 years old. Oh, I'm just going to say older. Brother, I've been in church my whole life, right? You hear that? Been in church. I've got my seat. It's got, a, it's got something on it. It's been dedicated. It's my family. This is my row right here. But yet, their spiritual age is three days old. They've never progressed. They started in the process, but never fully matured. Because here's the thing. Spiritual maturity, I've seen people that's been, uh, teenagers at 16 years old that has been more spiritually mature than people in their 50s and 60s. Spiritual maturity is not an age. You commit yourself to him on a daily basis. It's disciplines for a reason. The life of a disciple, you're a disciplined learner, which means you never stop learning. You learn how to live with one another. You, live how to you learn how to love one another, to work with one another. It's the one another's. If it wasn't for people, I'd be good, right? <laughs> if it wasn't for some of us in the room, we'd be all right. We'd, I'd be going to heaven right now. I'd be good. But, and I told you I was going to be pastoral for a moment, but you better hear this. So there's so many people sitting in seats across America and probably all over the world that may be 
And, well, brother, I've been in the way for 60 years. And his brother, uh, Dr. Mark Rutland said, yeah, that's right. You've been in the way. Move out of the way. Let some of these other ones come in. <laughs> Spiritual maturity is not an age. It's where you are in your disciplines with the Lord. Do you have disciplines? Well, I read and pray. Well, if you read and pray, do you listen are you, is it just monologue and there's no dialogue because God confronts me about my attitude towards others? He does. He really does. And if I miss that place of prayer, he's been there because the scripture says, your father, go into your closet, shut your door and pray to your father who is. He's there. And when you neglect that, you neglect confrontation. You neglect his voice to correct you and get you on the right path. All right, I'm going to get off that because it feels like it got heavy. I tried. I, I, well, actually, I'm just, I want to hurry up because I, I want to get to my point. You got it. I hope you got it. Some of you did. Somebody did. They tried to crown him before they crossed him. It's my cross that makes my crown. It's you carrying your cross that will actually give you a crown one day. It's agony in my life that actually gives me the opposite, which is the ecstasy. It is my sickness in those times, and some of you can bear witness, that actually gives me my healing. I'm not saying that, well, I want to be sick, so I get, no, no, no. But it's going through that that I can experience healing. It's my poverty that illuminates prosperity. It makes me appreciate right where I'm at right now. I don't know about anybody else. I, I, I Listen, I grew up and I had everything that I ever needed, but whenever, that, whenever the mindset of poverty began to shift and break off of my mind and I started understanding that he's a God of more than enough, of not just enough, but a God of more than enough, it shifted the way I pray, it shifted the way I approach life, it, it shifted a lot of things. Here's the thing, you don't notice good health until you've been sick or you, until you've been without. I want to, whenever my health was challenged, it's been a while back about my eye, you know what I put, you know, every morning it creates thanksgiving. Father, thank you for seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, feeling, walking and talking, living and breathing and that I can live in you and have my being in you. I'm telling you, when your health is challenged and God brings you through it and he heals you, you'll look back and you'll find thanksgiving in it. I don't know if there's anybody else. I was talking with Miss Sarah Thomas and man, she will encourage me uh, uh, just out one end out the other. She'll text me, Pastor, you having a good day? She knows the answer to that. So when she texts me, because she can feel it, I don't think you're having a good day, Pastor. I could feel it. And I was like, well, you're right. I'm not. Pray. <laughs> but she was telling, we were kind of going back and forth. When our health is challenged, you become thankful for things that people don't even understand. You may be, God, I'm thankful that I could go and get my hair did this week. You know, some, I'm thankful that I had the money to provide for this and to do that. And, and it, when it's challenged, you become thankful when God restores it back to you. God, I thank you for my beautiful wife and my healthy children. We walk through the season that we walk through. I'm thankful for healthy children. I don't care, just healthy. Thank you for providing. Thank you for a church that is still together. Thank you for a house that is burning for revival and is ready for the next season. I'm telling you, when it's challenged, it causes you to look at the process and say, God, I'm not ready to step out of this process yet because something's happening. You start to appreciate the steps God's making you take. God, what's the next step? It ain't you trying to make the next step. It's God, what do you want to do next? I'm not taking one without you. 
You kind of get that prayer of the children of Israel whenever they're in the wilderness. And Moses said this. He said, if you don't go with us, don't take us. We're not going. How will any of the rest of the world know that we've been sent except that you're on our lives? Because it's presence that distinguishes us from everybody else. And doesn't come, it doesn't become about what's right and what's wrong. It becomes about we just got to have him. doesn't matter. We just need him. I don't have to have a stage. I don't need a microphone to be thankful. I don't need a crowd to be thankful. I don't need any of those things. I can praise him on a step. I can praise him in the steps because I have had a breakthrough because every time that I make a step, I'm thankful. I don't have to wait to start praising the Lord. That's why I said it a while ago. I don't have to wait until I find a breakthrough till I start praising him because there's a lot of people that base their, their, uh, their praise upon their breakthrough or upon how they feel. No, no, no. You, you don't base that upon how you feel. You want to see breakthrough and God's already shown you the vision and he's showing you, look, I'm ordering your steps. Just be faithful and stay the course and all of a sudden you can see the end result. All you need to do is just lift your hands and say, God, thank you. Thank you. I thank you that we're going to see this. I thank you. I, I'm telling you, my vision for this house is so large and so big. It can't fit in this room. It literally cannot fit in this room. It has to have a new building. It has to have some new, uh, some new things here on this property because it's too big. But that's, that's the visionary side. And I'm not going to get frustrated because God's got a timing. Maybe all I'm called to do is take the baton and move it to the next generation. Yes, what? I'm okay with that because the steps of a good man have been ordered. My steps are ordered. I'm going to commit myself to praise. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what anybody does. I don't care. I break word curses every day. So go ahead and say what you want to. I'm breaking them every day. I plead the blood of Jesus over our family, over this house. There's no witches, no warlocks that can move in and put curses upon this house. We are blessed and we're moving somewhere and I'm going to be faithful. This pastor has committed himself to seeing it done or until I move it to the next generation. I'm okay with that. Nobody's going to push me off a stage or I'm not going to fall off a stage. I'll step off when I know it's ready. I promise you. I'm not going to be 98 and still standing on a stage. I don't want to wait till I get the breakthrough till I start praising God. I don't want to wait till I get the miracle until I start worshiping. Here's the thing, and if we could, if we could see this, Derek Prince has said it, and I'm trying to think of the, the other lady that said it as well. It might have been Patricia King said this, that the enemy hates your praise. You just have no clue because a lot of times we base our praise on our feelings. That's why it's called a sacrifice of praise. It's a literal sacrifice, and you guys sacrifice to be here on Wednesday night sometimes. He hates your praise. He hates it. You got a lost daughter, you got a lost dad, got lost family, got a situation that looks completely hopeless, go into your home, shut your door, turn your blinds, put on some praise music or some worship music and just dance and thank God that because it's in his heart to save them, that's, that's, that's something he wants to see done, just start praising. I know it doesn't sound cool and it doesn't sound, well, I don't, I'm just, I'm an introvert. I don't want to do that. Just try it. Nobody's looking. Nobody looking. Unless your neighbor peeks through <laughs> looking at you. What in the world? I heard a plundering going on over there. I just want to see if y'all are all right. I I'm telling you, but I'm serious. I, I really think if you would just, just start praising. 
Just start, lift your hands and just start just declaring the psalm. Get a psalm, get, go to Psalm 150, go to Psalm 149 and just read through it and shout it. Shout it out loud. The enemy hates it. He hates praise. He can't stand it. Because he, this is what I know. When I look at the life of Paul and I see a man that was in prison, he was beaten, left for dead, no telling how many times, and to the point to where he's under the submitted government that he was trying to see saved. He went before his own leaders and wanting to see the nation turned uh, towards God. And we see him, eventually he's beheaded. Listen to what Paul says. I don't regard myself as having taken hold of it yet, but one thing, not 1,000 things that I do. I don't try to accomplish and become, uh, win friends and influence people or nothing like that. He said, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I press forward to what lies ahead. Why? I just want to know if there's anybody in the room that actually has an understanding of what it means to press. Or is it when things get tough, you back off? No, no, when I press, whenever the enemy begins to come against me with depression and oppression, I begin to grab a hold of God's word and I begin to lift my hands and go into a, a phase and a state of praise and I begin to press back and say, no, 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 no. Because the scripture says when you come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord is gonna lift up a standard and that standard is praise. That praise is I'm lifting up to the, I, am I, is there anybody, I, I don't know, I'm listen, maybe I'm just pulling for amens tonight, but I don't know if anybody's ever been there. Has anybody ever been there that the only prayer that you can say is help God where are you right now help anybody have you ever been as desperate as blind Bartimaeus that whenever he began to cry son of David have mercy God look at me Jesus over here have mercy on me it's a squeaky wheel that gets the oil right some of you you're, you're you you need oil but you ain't got none you ain't you ain't crying out you're quiet all to yourself. And God's just looking to see how bad do you want it. Are you willing to press? I'm told stories of when I grew up with family, my uncles go into the basement. You know that, old, that song, an old church basement? I've experienced that. I understand. A little musty mildew smell. Go into a room, probably a, a 10 by 10 room. It's a Sunday school room. Shut the door and all of a sudden you start hearing these men lift up a cry. Ain't no, ain't no music. They just start stirring something up. Oh, God, you're able and you're faithful. And just tear into a prayer. Next thing you know, one of them would stir the other one up. And this one's done stirred this one up. And next thing you know, all you hear is praise the Lord. And it's these booming voices coming into this little 10 by 10 room. And, and a prayer meeting breaks out and they're pressing into something. And then when we went upstairs for the service, something broke loose and chains began to break. And people that we've met, we've seen alcoholics come down the all, uh, down to the, the, to the altar and, and repent and get filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Drunk out of his mind and cussing. But he got filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't understand it. Well, they say a drunk man, they, he'll, he'll, he'll get saved every time. He may not remember it the next day, but he'll get saved every time. But there is a willingness of men and women in the past, and if you've never seen that, maybe you are one of those, but you've seen them stay the course in every season. When they had little or they had much, they still remained faithful in every season because they understood that God is faithful. Am I preaching to anybody tonight? I'm, I, you know what? It's okay. I'm preaching to myself. I need to hear this. AJ, just stay the course. You're moving somewhere, I promise you. I'm encouraging myself in the Lord tonight. Praise, praise the Lord. Whew. Hey, you say silly instead of Selah. 
you get a pass, all right? There's a lot going on. Don't act like you didn't hear it. I'll hear that 10 years later. Somebody, you remember that Wednesday night? Well, oh, you see that in the scripture? It says, silly, Pastor Ray <laughs> Whew. You need people around you that can tell you to get yourself up and get your step going. Get back. God's ordered your steps. Get back up and keep moving. It's not time to stop. It's time to press. Press forward. This one thing I do. AJ, keep moving. We're not there yet. You're not there yet. Keep moving. But here's the thing, and I'm getting ready to close, Patrick. We're walking this thing out. And as I said a while ago, that the process is not always, Larry, it's not always sunshine and smiles. We want it to be. We think when we get saved, some people have, it's a, it's a mirage to think that whenever I get saved, that there's no more problems. And the first sign of conflict and problems, most of the time, new believers begin to fall away. Or it just... They lose the luster off of the the relationship with the Lord. But for those of us that have committed ourselves and said, I'm I'm fully persuaded. Like, I'm I'm persuaded, Kyle. There's there's nothing that can dissuade me. I've seen him do too much. Whereas when we were kids, we used to hear a song. Because what you did as a kid when you were in big churches, you made fun of the songs that were being sang and tried to figure out a way to make them work some other way. And we had a woman that would worship her heart out with an accordion. But watch it. She would worship her heart out with an accordion. And she sung a song, I wouldn't take nothing from my journey now. Well, as kids were singing, I wouldn't take nothing from my Jersey cow, right? But she would sing this song and she would sing it until it would shake loose. And I remember it, I was young. I, I was bow ties and a little seersucker jacket. And I remember watching her worship in that song. And I was reminded of that as I was prepping this message. And I thought, man, I have got, I've invested too much to turn around. There's a great cloud of witnesses that is surrounding the throne of God and looking over these people. Your family. I, I, some people say, well, that's bad theology. I don't know. This is what it looks like in Hebrews to me. That they're rooting us on to finish well. Finish and stay the course. I know the process. What if you could talk to the Apostle Paul? Oh, but if you would just stay the course, it's worth it. To see what we see and experience what we're experiencing. To see Christ face to face. It's worth it. You can only see in a glass dimly. But one of these days you'll see in clear what you had to face and why you had to face it. Just stay the course. Stay the course. But what do we do in the meantime when we're sitting in pause and we feel like we're in a holding pattern and nothing's shaking and nothing's moving? I look at the life of Job. Now, I don't believe that people ask, well, what about Job and this? I believe Jesus is the answer. Job is a question, but we look at Jesus as being the prototype to Christianity. Job had lost everything precious to him, and his friends are trying to find solutions to the issues he's facing. Well, Job, maybe you did this. Maybe you did. Maybe that happened. Maybe this happened. And, and, and we don't know. He's, he's just sitting there. And even Job's own wife is, Job, yeah, man, just you need to curse God and just give this thing up and let's be done with it. Because he lost his most precious. All the money, all the material, th- yeah, whatever. But his children and his family's gone. And he's sitting there. 
and these sores all over his body. But Job, I love this, and this is the verse that I want to close with to encourage you. Job 23.10, listen to this. Job said this, as they're, as they're just berating him with all of these, these accusations and all of this and the other. He said, but he, speaking of God, he knows the way, the way. He knows the path. He knows the steps. He knows the way, the path that he's prepared for me. He knows the way that I take when he has put me to the test. Hear that. When he's put me to the test, I will come out as gold, refined in a fire. I will come through this and I will come out of this. I love what he says right here. My foot has held on to the path. I have committed myself completely, 100%. My foot has held to the path. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not failed the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more more than my necessary food. Think about that. And all that Job faced, he still said, I have stayed the course. I've not deviated. I've not moved one time. I've remained faithful. Stand to your feet. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 is in a prison. And he looks and he sees a Roman soldier. And the Lord begins to download a revelation to him about the armor of God. Why did God tell him, and he begins to write this, breastplate of righteousness, sword of the spirit, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the, the helmet of salvation, the, 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 the belt of truth, all of these things, and then tell Job, stand. You're going to tell me to put all this stuff on and simply to stand. What does that mean? Job, you, or excuse me, Paul, you put all that stuff on so you can stay the course. That's how you stay the course. If you don't have armor on, you're not going to last long on this journey. Let me pray over you. Father, I pray over this house tonight. I pray over every person. God, for those that are in a season of where it's heavy and rough, I pray that they would hear the words of their pastor beginning to just resonate in their heart tomorrow when they wake up. Stay the course. Stay faithful. Stay committed. Commit your heart to the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, and faithfulness. Stay the course. I pray right now, God, for the grace of God to come upon their lives. Stay the course. Stay the course. Stay the course. Stay the course. For anyone that's in a place of discouragement, it's no time to stay there. I was just recently reading something by Derek Prince, and if any of you ever ever heard of uh, Derek Prince, he was... I mean, they're still taking his teachings today and producing books out of it. I mean, that's how, uh, how awesome his teachings were. Very, um, his, you just got to read his, his biography. It's kind of his whole story. Really, really interesting. And God used him so mightily in the place of deliverance. And, and what I'm about to say, some, it may challenge some of us, but he had a ministry of whenever he would go and minister and he was seeing believers that were manifesting certain spirits, believers. I'm just telling the story as I read it. 
very powerful stuff. And he said that one of those that manifested from a so-called believer was self-pity. A lot of times, believers as us, we will latch on to self-pity. And we will allow it to take root in our lives. We'll latch on to something like unforgiveness and bitterness. And it will allow us to sit in a seat of self-pity. Woe is me. Woe is me. I'm the victim. I'm the victim. I'm the victim. It, It keeps you in a victim mentality. And the reason I tell you this is because when you begin to mature in your journey with the Lord, God confronts that attitude and he, he confronts that specific spirit in your world and in your life. And you think that, well, I'm just going to push it down, push it down, push it down. It'll end up coming back up again and God will come back. Let's deal with it. Let's deal with it. Let's deal with it. I don't know why I tell that story tonight except for the fact that in this house, if you're going to walk and stay on track and stay the course with the Lord, I'm just telling, (laughs) there's some people in this room that the Lord is about to confront some areas in your life. It's okay because it's not going to be anything done in public. He's wanting to come in private and he's wanting to deal with that one-on-one with you. Now, we freak out when we think about that, but what is the end result of what God wants to do? He wants to come one-on-one as a father, and he wants you to confess it to him, repent for arboring that, and release it to him. I'm telling you that because that's you and the Lord. I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, but I feel that strong. And it could be self-pity. It could be discouragement. It could be um, um, pride. It could be many different things. But God wants you whole, and he wants you free. Listen. Savannah Campus, I'm telling you this for the sole purpose of we're in revival and it's going to increase. We need you. You are needed in this house. Your praise is needed. Your worship is needing, needed. Not just as a, as a place. You're needed as a, as, a, as a face of encouragement in the house for somebody coming in. For somebody that's yet to be in this house. So I'm telling you, it's time to get before the Father and say, God, what what do you want to deal with in me? I want to be whole, right? I want to be whole. One last time prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that this week you would speak to people's hearts, open their eyes to see things they've never seen before, and I pray that the whole goal and the end goal of all of this is intimacy and relationship with you. Draw them closer. God, increase revival. Increase it. We've baptized 12, 13 in the past uh, three days, and we got some more this weekend, so I'm thankful for transformation and revival that's happening right here in this house of recommitments and new commitments and all the great things that's taking place. Increase it, God. Stretch, stretch out. Stretch out our tents, God, over this region. Let our ropes be extended and our tents, tent pegs be fastened into the ground. Let the kingdom of God come and increase in this region. In the name of Jesus, we declare and pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you are able to take something from this sermon and apply it to your life. Also, feel free to share this with your friends and family. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at loveandtruthchurchsavannah at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week.